What up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and on this episode, we are continuing our talk about the G1 Climax 33. Today is July 18, 2023, and this was A and B block matches. But first, a message from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that you ever wanted to start a podcast? The most simplest and easiest way to do that is to go to Zencaster. Zencaster has it all. All All-in-one podcasting tools for great audio. It can remove all the ums and ahs that you say during your podcast episode. It can level out the loudness of your podcast episode as well because you do not want to damage the ears of your listeners if they are listening via headphones. Zencaster allows you to have the coolest features to create the best podcast episodes ever. So let's say that you are interviewing somebody and you send them the link to your Zencaster room. Think of it like Zoom, but just very, very simpler, way easier And it's way more smoother. So you send your guests the link, they come in and you have the option of either just recording via audio or video. If you do both audio and video, you can upload that video and more people will watch and listen to your podcast and you'll have an increase in viewership, an increase in engagement and an increase in people talking about your podcast. So you have those two choices. Once you give the guests the link and you tell the guests what we're going to be doing and then you create your podcast episode. Make sure the world gets to know your story. And the easiest way that that can happen is by taking the leap. Sign up with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing. That is Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com forward slash pricing and use my code, which is just three simple letters. SCP to get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all of my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Once again, that is Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and you use my code SCP. And you'll get that 30% off your first month of any Zencaster pay plan. Do not wait. Do not hesitate. The world needs to know your story. And I'm here to let you know that Zencaster is the way to go. All right, let's jump into this review of the G1 Climax 33, July 18, 2023. We start off with A Block, Kaito Kiyomiya. Got it. Versus Chase Owens. I didn't really expect too much from this match. This match was going to be one of those filler matches. It was decent. We have Chase going for a handshake. But you know in Bullet Club, that means I'm going to hit you from behind. Kaito, again, doesn't go to New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is from NOAA. He won last year's NOAA's N1 victory, which is very similar to the G1 climax of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So he is here to prove a lot to the world because the world really is against him. The world is really like, why are you here? So he's proving that 
to everyone. And then he's also proving that he can hang with Okada because he started some shit with Okada and that has to end too. So Kaito, you know, you got to finish your story as well. So as soon as Kaito turns around, here comes Chase with the blindsided attack, gets a little bit of the advantage, does the Marvel special where he takes Kaito and hits him back first into the corner turnbuckle or a pad and then ends up doing a Saido suplex to complete the Marvel special. Chase even tries to break Kaito's fingers by separating them all. However, Kaito recovers, comes back with a vicious running knee and that twisting upside down power bomb that looks so beautiful. He did it to Suji in the last review of this show. However, Chase kicks out of that. But eventually, Kaito comes through with a shining wizard and gets the one, two, three over Chase and Kaito is awarded two points. Again, nothing really special, nothing really out of the ordinary. I do have a feeling that even though Sonata is our IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, that Kaito is probably going to be either number one or number two on the board for the A block. I really do think he's going to accumulate all those points because eventually the story is probably going to be Kaito versus Okada. That is exactly where we're probably heading in this G1. Because to be honest... To be very, very honest, I am way more excited for a C block than out of any other block in this G1 tournament. All right. So like I said, Kaito ends up getting two points. B block, we have Kenta versus the Great Okan. The Great Okan is not really starting out very, very well in the G1. He suffered a loss to Okada the last time that they met, and now he has to face Kenta. Kenta is such a trickster that we should just rename him to Loki because it doesn't matter how many times somebody fights Kenta. You should know how his matches go. You should know how his shenanigans go. And for the whole entire tournament, I know that the Great Okan is going to be using his amateur wrestling style. That is the one advantage that he probably has over a lot of the guys in A Block, even though some of them can really wrestle with him with the amateur wrestling style but because the great okan has like a lot of experience in it that's like his main technique other than like all the rest of the good things that he does as a wrestler when not doing amateur wrestling but he's relying on it so that way he could get victories because who really does amateur wrestling nowadays most people do technical and chain wrestling which is a little bit more different than amateur wrestling amateur wrestling is a little bit more extreme fundamental we should say that like extreme fundamental then you got the chain wrestling and stuff which is a little bit lenient on certain things but the great okan that's what he knows kenta was doing great against the great okan with the amateur wrestling background like kenta can definitely be one of those people to give a really good show for amateur wrestling however you know kenta goes for the great okan's eyes and then a shoulder tackle by the great okan to reinforce that the great okan is a little bit more stronger than kenta kenta manages to use the defy belt to hit okan but the referee does not see there were like two referee bumps in this match 
possibly like two and a half. At one point, Kenta and the Great Okan were fighting outside into the crowd. Kenta did a very vicious double stomp to the Great Okan. There was an interesting moment where the Great Okan twisted Kenta up, does some Mongolian chops to open up Kenta so that way he could get that gut wrench suplex on Kenta. Then Okan takes some liberties by wrapping a chair around Kenta's head and throwing it into the wall as payback. We have a back suplex, a cover, and a kick out. The Great Okan goes for that sheep killer. It is applied to Kenta, but Kenta dragged the ref into that same move so that way Kenta can get out of it. As Kenta goes for a high-risk move, Okan plucks him out of the air. However, Kenta reverses that and does a DDT to the Great Okan. Like I said, by this time, we get that second ref bump. Like, why do we have to have so many ref bumps in a Kenta match? Why? This allows the Great Okan to do straight closed fist punches to Kenta, a modified Tenzon Tombstone. The Eliminator. However, you guys know how devastating the Eliminator is, or is it the Dominator? I think it's the Dominator. My apologies for getting those two mixed up. We get a counter pin, and this is where Kenta clutches down and has this pin super tight because he holds onto the rope for leverage. The referee doesn't see it at all. So that gives Kenta two points for his G1 match. And that leaves the Great Okan with nothing at the very moment. Bullet Club members are on watch, by the way. Whoever is going to be falling behind, whoever is going to be the weakest link, I really do think that David Finley is going to drop them and take them out of Bullet Club. Speaking of Bullet Club, we have A Block, Hikaleo versus Gabe Kidd. Hikaleo came out first, and then all of a sudden, Gabriel Kidd came out and blindsided Hikaleo. They fight into the crowd. He throws some chairs. It was a brutal fight, a brutal start to this match that the bell didn't ring, but they were wrestling outside for at least like five minutes, six minutes. And as you know, Gabe is very, very unhinged at this point. There is a point where Gabriel Kidd tries to attack Hikaleo with a chair. However, Hikaleo kicks that chair back into Gabe's face. And then as some time goes by and recovery goes by, Gabriel Kidd decides to take a bunch of chairs, fold them up, put them in one spot all together as a pile, and was going to try and suplex Hikaleo onto that. But Hikaleo was way taller, way more heavier, so that couldn't happen. So what happened is, is that Hikaleo decides to back body drop Gabe onto the chairs. You could hear Gabe scream. It really hurt him so they finally get into the ring the bell sounded and Hikaleo means business and he is pissed he comes running at Gabe with a huge body splash into the corner some snake eyes to Gabe Gabe recovers and does a shoulder block that shocks Hikaleo it does not take him down but it only shocks Hikaleo because you see Gabe in the corner like days and then all of a sudden here comes a shoulder block from him Gabe with a lariat 
Gabe goes for the cover. Hikaleo kicks out. Gabe with this spitting thing, man. Like, to me, that's very disrespectful. Like, I understand he's very unhinged and he's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, New Japan. Like, this whole very angry type of person. But, like, keep the spitting to a minimum, dude. That's, like, very disrespectful. So, because it's very disrespectful, Hikaleo comes and slaps the shit out of him and brings him down and the crowd goes wild. And that's when Hikaleo decides to beat the shit out of him because, again, that's very, very disrespectful. Now we get to a very interesting part of the match where it scares everybody, even on Twitter. It scares me as well. So Gabe goes to the ropes, bounces off, and tries to do this roaring elbow. However, Hikaleo was setting up for the power slam. It just did not work out right, and Gabe collapsed on the side of his head and neck area, and it was very, very awkward. So automatically, Hikaleo goes for the cover. Gabe kicks out. Gabe is still going. This maniac did not even have time to, like, react to make sure he was good. Like, that adrenaline, like, kept him alive and shit, and he keeps going, and he decides to put on a chin lock choke type of sleeper onto Hikaleo and was like I'm gonna win by you know TKO or something however Hikaleo being so big went over to the ropes got a rope break and then we get Godsend which is Hikaleo's version of a really high ass choke slam countered by a low blow because referee bump the referee wasn't paying attention and then Gabe does a power driver to Hikaleo. Hikaleo is way taller than Gabe, has a lot more weight, and Gabe manages to do a power driver to Hikaleo. Goes over for the cover, one, two, three, and in the midst of everything, Gabe Kidd gets two points in his G1 match against Hikaleo. Very interesting, a lot of story tidbits there. However, I would like to say as a caution, if any of the wrestlers listen to this, if Gabe ever listens to my podcast, I don't know if he does, but if he ever does, just slow it down, kid. Slow it down a little bit, man. Like, I care about your well-being. I don't care that you're angry at the company. I don't care that you're angry at the sky or angry anywhere else. Like, I care about your well-being your livelihood even if you feel like you don't care about yourself like you should care about yourself I know you care about yourself but at the same time it's like I also care too because you're one of my favorite wrestlers so just slow it down a tiny bit so that way things like that don't happen even though accidents happen in wrestling I know this for a fact but from one person to another just be safe out there you know but yeah Gabe definitely managed to get a victory over Hikaleo, giving him two points for his G1 match. Our next match is B Block, Tangaloa versus Tai Chi. This one was a little bit more fleshed out than Kenta versus Loa. Kenta versus Loa was honestly a little bit boring to me. This one was a little bit more better. And this felt like a better proving ground for Loa to make sure that he came back. He's okay. I know they're playing up the fact that his knee is still not 100% when I'm like, bro, I know your knee is 100%. Like, if it really wasn't 100%, you wouldn't be in the G1. You should be fine by now. But they're going to play the story of the knee hurting to create that sympathy. You know, of course, that's what they do. 
So we got some forearm and chop exchanges, which turned into a shoulder tackle battle to see who has more strength. Loa has way more strength than a lot of the people on, you know, the roster. However, we get some fighting on the outside where Tai Chi sends him into the barricade and then takes Loa's leg and just swings it into the ring post. And this is where Tai Chi focuses on Loa's knee that has been properly surgery reconstructed. We see Loa do a blue thunder bomb, which, by the way, I love a blue thunder bomb, but Tai Chi kicks out. Most of their strikes and kicks were evenly matched. Loa caught that buzzsaw kick and then does a hyperextend to Tai Chi's leg. And in response, Tai Chi also manages to take out Loa's leg as well. So both of them are down and exhausted. We get a huge jumping kick from Loa, but Tai Chi comes right back to that knee, tries to do a clutch pin, but Loa escapes. Like Loa already knows what Tai Chi is all about and what he does. Loa then spears Tai Chi really, really bad. And Tai Chi does recover ends up doing a very deep clutch pin to Loa. And that allows Tai Chi to get two points in his G1 match. Our next match is A Block, Yodasuji versus Ren Narita. Yodasuji has never beaten Ren Narita. Even when they were young lions, Ren Narita will always go over on Suji, which is kind of crazy to really think about. So this match is a pure wrestling match. There are no longer young lions. You guys know that both of them graduated. Suji coming back from excursion from Mexico and the UK and Renarita graduating from the LA dojo and just being a Shibata mini me. We get a stalemate in the very beginning of this match because they are so good. We have some fighting on the outside, which... Renarita does not want Suji to come back in, so he keeps him on the outside, but Suji manages to come back in and does a headlock scissors takeover. Suji with that powerful suicide dive, it hits Renarita. However, he still crashes into the barricade and flips over and stands up unscathed as if like his lower abdomen does not hurt. It was not as bad as what Kyle Fletcher did. Suji comes in with some very powerful attacks, such as a body slam into a huge splash and tries to cover Ren so that way he could probably get the win, but that doesn't really matter. Ren kicks out. And Ren thinks that by doing chops to Suji that it's going to affect Suji in any way. No. Both of these guys were definitely playing chess and they were evenly matched. Suji does that wonderful tilt-to-world backbreaker, which... I'm glad he's bringing it back. He does that to Ren and then decides to do a Boston Crab to Ren Narita. Because as you know, Young Lions in their moveset, they had to have the Boston Crab as a finisher. And Suji always tapped to the Boston Crab. However, Suji modified this Boston Crab so he can grab Ren's hand, at least one of his hands, to try and at least give him more damage and have him submit. But... Ren Narita manages to go to the rope and cause a rope break. And then, again, Suji goes for really huge power moves to Ren to drive that breath out, to make sure that Ren is completely exhausted and he's not going to have enough energy to kick out. But Ren Narita does, and the match keeps going. 
Ren Narita has been surviving his matches. When he's in the ring with Suji, he is surviving. We get a huge curb stomp from Suji, which, by the way, I did say that if we ever debate about the best curb stomp, Suji is like in that one or two spot. We could still give it to Seth Rollins, but Suji's curb stomp is basically way more devastating. We finally get down to the last two minutes of this match. Ren Narita has wrist control and does an underhook suplex with a bridge, but rolls through, wants to add more damage to Suji. However, Suji pulls himself into Narita's guard his space as they both stand up and deliver a knee strike and a super kick. This breaks the wrist control. But Ren Narita absorbs it all and yells in Suji's face, but Suji delivers a striking headbutt, knocking Narita down, and then Suji collapses from exhaustion and doesn't cover, not even putting his arm just really exhaustedly over Ren so that way at least the referee can start the count. During this downtime, there is one minute left. Suji decides to set up Narita on the top turnbuckle. I do not think that any of these guys are listening to how much time there is. As a reminder, for the G1 Climax 33 this year, all matches are 20 minutes rather than the regular 30 minutes. So as Renarita is being set up on the turnbuckle, the announcer is like 30 seconds, 20 seconds. Narita has some life back into him and tries to choke out Suji on the ropes. But the referee is like, you can't do that. So starts officiating the five count and Narita lets him go. And Narita tries to go onto the top rope to try to do a diving knee. However, the bell is sound. We have another, another time limit draw. So as you know, the point system in the G1 is very similar to the best of the Super Juniors. And so for a pin and submission, it is two points. For a count out and or time limit draw, each opponent gets one point. And then if the match is completely thrown out and there's a DQ, nobody gets points, that's zero points. So because the time came to 20 minutes for Suji versus Ren Narita, Suji gets one point. And Ren Narita gets one point in this G1 Climax match. If you are listening to this podcast, please make sure to answer this one question that I have. Are you a fan of time limit draws in professional wrestling? I would love to hear your comments, your thoughts. The easiest way for you guys to answer that is going to be on the Spotify Q&A portion of this podcast episode so when you're listening to the podcast episode there will be a little button at the top that lets you know that there is a question for you to answer I'll drop this question into that Q&A the question again is are you a fan of time limit draws in professional wrestling if you do not want to answer it there, which I highly encourage you to do so, so it can create a conversation, you guys can join me over on my wrestling discord, which is the Squared Circle Society discord. The link to that discord will be down in the description below. Please make sure to join it and talk with other wrestling individuals who love everything wrestling. So from Impact to AEW to New Japan Pro Wrestling to WWE to anything on the indies to anything in Australia to anything around the world we come together we talk about wrestling and we respect each other in this discord of the square circle society 
All right, let's talk about B Block Yoshihashi versus Will Ospreay. I have a lot of explaining to do because I did put out a tweet saying that Yoshihashi versus Will Ospreay is a Will Ospreay match. Will Ospreay versus Taichi was not a Will Ospreay match. And let me say this in full. Let me explain what I mean. What I don't like is that Osprey is going to now pick and choose when he's a heel, when he's a babyface, and when he doesn't decide to be neither of those things. And all I ask is that Will Osprey be consistent in his character, in his development, in his motivations. Osprey has definitely been through a lot, okay? We know that he has a injury that he's working with, even though he didn't need surgery, he just needed to be in physical therapy and he's able to wrestle and stuff. So we know that's there, but that's not part of this. But I just want to let you guys remember that part. Then after being medically cleared, he is able to wrestle and he's been wrestling in the UK, wrestled for Forbidden Door, manages to get the IWGP United States Championship back over to Japan and back around his waist. And like I said on the Forbidden Door review podcast episode, if you guys want to go back into the catalog, that I think the match between Osprey versus Kenny Omega Part 2 was just a little overbooked and could have been done just a slightly bit different. But I am happy that Osprey won. And he had that cockiness, that heelness going into that match with Kenny Omega. I didn't really like the fact that Kenny was a face because he's in his hometown and Don Callis betrayed him. Like, when is Kenny really going to be that anti-hero where he gets angry at the fact that someone he called his family member and, you know, it's family through and through and then betrays him. And all of a sudden he's a face and don't really have that urgency, that anger behind it as a motivation and he has to be like a complete baby face like it just doesn't sit right with me and then you have osprey being the heel because he's going to heel territory because it's kenny omega's hometown like all right cool but you know it just didn't make sense to me at all anyway so after forbidden door here comes osprey to the g1 he has momentum because he has the belt he beat kenny omega and he comes back home to New Japan Pro Wrestling to face Tai Chi in Tai Chi's hometown and just decides to still be cocky, still have this misplaced arrogance about him, this obnoxiousness about him when it's like still thinking about beating Kenny Omega, still thinking about that, you know, he's the one that did it, so he's going to come over and not really care about his G1 match against Taichi, and I thought that was really silly and stupid because I know when Osprey gets into a match, he delivers. His mind goes somewhere else into the stratosphere, and, you know, he delivers on everything that he does in the ring and tells a really good story. His match with Tai Chi, I just felt like it was a slap to Tai Chi. There was like no really respect there, even like a mutual respect. It just felt like he's there to antagonize the crowd, wants to be the heel because he's attacking the hometown boy. And I'm like, yeah, the crowd got behind it. You know, the crowd got behind their boy Tai Chi, but 
Osprey is better than that. When Osprey fought Tai Chi, I believe in the beginning of this year, I don't really know. I have to go back into my notes. But when they fought, it felt like a really hatred of a fight. And that's what I love about that match from probably earlier this year. However, this G1 match between Tai Chi and Osprey was really bad to me. This is cringe because Osprey's character has changed so much just because he was dealing with AEW and the elite and being this heel and going to Canada and then to still bring it over and still have that, you know, it's like, this isn't you. You fight with the utmost honor and respect to show people that your wrestling goes beyond the promos. His wrestling goes beyond anything else. It is unlike any other wrestler in the ring. That's why I appreciate and respect Osprey's in-ring ability because I know that when he's going to be fighting somebody, you know, there's that mutual respect there, that invisible respect that let's go out there, let's show the people what we got, plus have a story in it where it's like, you can't do the things that I can do. It was just way too much between him and Tai Chi. And that's why I do not like that match at all. And I'm like, that's not a Will Ospreay match. Not at all. However, speaking about today, July 18, 2023, his match with Yoshihashi was a Will Ospreay match. Everything from start to finish was a Will Ospreay match. There was that invisible mutual respect that I've been talking about and then both of them putting on a really good performance there was no stupid cockiness there was no stupid arrogance it was will osprey being will osprey showing the world that he can hang with yoshihashi and yoshihashi shining as a single competitor he's really good as a singles competitor so you know osprey does all these things he even brought back the cobra twist to put on yoshihashi which i was like oh that's cool but yoshihashi comes in with a hip toss to break free from that we have a drop kick to the knee which yoshihashi is known for a ddt to osprey from yoshihashi a neck breaker the blockbuster the handspring blast kick from osprey the oz cutter the rewind kick from yoshihashi multiple kickouts we have a wrist control little section going on, which I was like, hey, everyone's trying to copy off of Okada with the wrist control. Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you have wrist control, you basically control the match. We get that Spanish fly. Yoshihashi kicks out. We get a spinning power bomb, And then Will Ospreay introduces a new move. Maybe it is. I'm not too entirely sure. But introduces a new move, which is the corkscrew shooting star press to Yoshihashi, goes for the cover, gets the one, two, three, and gets two points for his G1 match against Yoshihashi. So my main issue is that I just need Will Ospreay to be consistent across the board because my theory, I'm not sure when to introduce my theory about him and the United Empire, but one of these days, as we further get into the G1 and see what these stories develop into, I will probably tell you my theory about Will Ospreay and the United Empire. But for now, I'm not going to do that. What I will say is that this match against Yoshihashi felt like a Will Ospreay match. 
And if you don't understand the point of view where I'm coming from with the differences, that's totally okay. I'm still trying to figure it out. Maybe like a week from now, if I go back and watch the Tai Chi versus Will Ospreay match, maybe I'll have a different understanding. But at the time of me watching it, it was completely cringe. It was like, what are we doing? And then to see him facing Yoshihashi and there was no trace of that arrogance and that cockiness, which I think is really misplaced. Since there was no trace of those two, I was like, what are we doing? Osprey, what are we doing? Like, it has to be consistent across the board. You know who's consistent in New Japan Pro Wrestling? Bullet Club. David Finley is consistent with his character. Gabriel Kidd is consistent with his character with the whole unhinged kind of thing. You have, like, Alex Coughlin, Clark Connors. Dan Maloney, like all of them are consistent with their characters. It's only certain people that tend to go outside the line and it's like, go back in the line. It's okay to be consistent and have a character so that way we know what to expect. Like every match should be different. Every situation should be different, but not to extremes where Tai Chi versus Osprey was super extreme of a character that... Will Ospreay has because of him fighting Kenny Omega being on the high from Canada. And I'm like, dude, that's over. Like, you don't really need to do that. You can come back to being, you know, the Will Ospreay that we love and the supposed leader, you know, the empire. Like, you got to be that person. And then, you know, to have this with Yoshihashi versus Will Ospreay where, like, none of that is there. I'm like, dude, just just be consistent. That's my only problem. Be consistent. Our next match is A Block Sonata versus Shota Umino. As you guys know, you probably heard me complain multiple, multiple times that Shota Umino needs to get away from the whole John Moxley thing and character and come into his own. He's fighting Sonata. Sonata is an IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, and Sonata is definitely making him look super good. They're both playing chess at this point. Sonata knows how to make Shota look amazing. Not that Shota isn't amazing. Shota is very, very amazing. He had an amazing match with Ren Narita, and I really enjoyed that. And that showed me that Shota Umino can be his own man. I don't understand why he has to gravitate and continue to do the things that John Moxley does, such as going through the crowd and for Shota being an ultimate babyface, for John Moxley being whatever the fuck he wants to be and goes with the flow with the crowd. Like, I don't know if he's a heel or a babyface. And then if he is a heel, you know, why are you going through the crowd if you're a heel? And then if you're not a heel, are you going through the crowd as a babyface? Like, those questions are really important. They're important for character growth, story growth. So that way you can have different pathways to play off of. It can't just be like 10 minutes into your entrance, you are a babyface because you're going through the crowd. And then the other later 10 minutes of the whole entire segment and or match that you have, you end up being a heel because you want to go take a chair to hit somebody when the match doesn't call for a chair. You want to do heel tactics when the match does not call for heel tactics on your side rather than your heel opponent. You know, these are important questions. These are important pathways, avenue ways to basically tell a really good story. 
Shota Umino, I don't know why you're following Moxley, but like, don't follow Moxley at all. In A Block alone, Shota Umino and the rest of the guys, especially the young guys, had to prove a lot. Sonata definitely takes these guys under his wing, not like physically, but metaphorically through these matches and really showcase them. We get that short drop kick to Shota's face. Shota, however, throws Sonata into the barricade once they get to the outside. This has Sonata flipping over to the other side of it. And then Shota throws Sonata into the ring post. You do see a little bit more aggression when it comes to Shota in his matches, which is always good. But again, he has to prove himself. He's really good. He's over with the crowd. He's a super babyface. And then when he gets into the ring, it's like an aggressive way to go. We get a neck breaker, that famous Sonata plancha, a flying lariat, the fisherman suplex. All of that cannot keep Sonata down, so he ends up kicking out. Multiple times, Sonata goes for the skull, and in this match, Shota manages to wiggle his way out of that and start causing some damage on his own. Towards the ending of the match, we only have two minutes left between Sonata and Shota. However, Shota manages to do a Shining Wizard, but that does not put Sonata away. Sonata goes for Deadfall, which is his other finisher other than the Skull End. Sonata goes over, covers one, two, three, and Sonata gets two points for his G1 Climax 33 match. Now, to put things into perspective, I like the way that Shota wrestles. I don't like that he has to take the personality or whatever personality there is from John Moxley, just because John Moxley was training him and it's its mentor and all this kind of stuff. It's like, Shota, I need you to be your own man. You have proven that you can be your own man, especially your own wrestler in the ring. However, do not ride the coattails of someone else. Become your own entrance, your own celebrity, if you will. Or your own character, if you will, by drawing from inspirations that you like. So the biggest example is Suji and how Suji became his own man, his own character. And we all love him for it. That's all I'm saying. Our main event is B-Block, El Fantasmo versus Okada. El Fantasmo is trying to find his way after being kicked from Bullet Club. And he does not have an island to call home or friends to call home he is trying to turn over a new leaf he is no longer trying to be bad he is trying to be good trying to get the fans in on the match and be that very good baby face so that way at least maybe the fans could be his friends but okada like i've said before many times okada is in that stage of fuck them kids elp is far from a kid he's way older but, you know, sometimes he does have that little chip on his shoulder of like maybe not taking things seriously. And by the way, when he was in Bullet Club, he has damaged his reputation of being taken seriously because he was doing too much comedic things in Bullet Club when Jay White was there. That statement is made through observations and is of my opinion. But I do know that wrestling fans on Twitter love ELP for some odd reason ELP is a very decent wrestler. He got it. He got the whole package and everything. I just like a lot more seriousness rather than all the way comedic or comedy in my wrestling matches. And then I also know that the fans of ELP wanted ELP to be the leader of Bullet Club. And again, 
There's nothing leadership material about ELP. Where would ELP have taken Bullet Club? Nowhere. I wouldn't even follow ELP if I was part of Bullet Club. I would have looked for somebody else or another faction or make my own faction. This is why it's very good that David Finley decided to take over Bullet Club because now Bullet Club has purpose. It has meaning. It could shut up all the naysayers that say that Bullet Club has run its course. Bullet Club is already getting started once again. Bullet Club is only becoming fresher once again. Once they kind of took out everybody that's been there for a while and Bullet Club was starting to lose that awesomeness that it had. Now it can achieve greater and different heights. And we could still talk about Bullet Club for years to come. So again, how would ELP have taken us to the new rise of Bullet Club? He wouldn't. He wouldn't be able to. If he can't find some friends and if he can't find a group to call home right now, then, yeah, Bullet Club would have been in trouble if he would have been leader. This is why sometimes you don't listen to the fans on the Internet and you don't give in to them booking-wise because they would have really killed Bullet Club if we had ELP as a leader. So it is ELP versus Okada. ELP is getting the fans into it. They lock up. At one point, they reach the ropes and it has to cause a rope break. You have ELP playing around a little bit and Okada is getting really fed up with this and starts beating the shit out of him because Okada wants a serious, serious match. Okada is taking control of this match with a beautiful, beautiful face first to the apron and then a DDT to follow up. And that has ELP on the floor hurt. We get a neck breaker to ELP from Okada and then an elbow to an in-ring DDT. So a slingshot into the ring for that. Straight jacket, chin lock into a chin lock now, just a regular one. Okada's touring with ELP at this point. Okada rolls out of the way of sudden death, so we don't get that. We get a swingy DDT to Okada from ELP. That flapjack that Okada does beautifully and a shotgun drop kick to ELP. We get that second rope moonsault to Okada. Okada kicks out. He's not going to go down that easily for ELP. ELP hits Okada with Thunder Kiss 86. However, Okada gets the knees up. Landside counter into a tombstone for ELP. ELP goes for CR2. But Okada counters that with Landslide finally picks him up. Wrist control. You guys know what happens when Okada gets wrist control. That's it. The match is his. Wrist control ends up happening is Rainmaker to ELP. Okada goes for the cover. One, two, three. And Okada gets two points for his G1 Climax 33 match against ELP. Now let's go over the leaderboards for A Block for July 18, 2023. Sonata currently has four points. Shota Umino currently has one point. Ren Narita currently has two points. Yoda Suji has one point. Hikaleo has zero. Chase Owens has two. Gabe Kidd has two. And Kaito Kiyomiya has four. Let's check in for B Block July 18, 2023. Okada has four points, Yoshihashi has two points, Tungaloa has two points, El Phantasmo has zero, 
Tai Chi has four, Will Osprey has two, Great Okan has zero, and Kenta has two. If you guys want extra content where you guys can see my process, see how I write my notes, you guys have to click on that Discord link and be a part of the Square Circle Society Discord. That link will be down in the description below. I really highly encourage you to come along for the ride because the leaderboards, the scorecards, are exclusive to the Square Circle Society Discord where I do update you guys in real time right after I watch the event. I update those scorecards. I put them up in the Discord, and it is there for us to discuss. It is there for us to say, hey, that was my favorite match. Hey, I really like the way that you go in-depth with the moves and I get to learn and everything like that. My Discord is about teaching people professional wrestling creating a bigger love for this sport rather than us tearing it down for some stupid odd reason i don't even know why but tearing it down tearing down others and propping yourself up to be selfish and be like i am right no matter what my discord is about discussion my discord is about fantasy booking my discord is about respect my discord is about making sure that everyone has a voice a place and they are seen and we are having a fun time talking about all the wrestling that is on on a daily basis i am currently focusing on new japan pro wrestling but we do have others in the discord that love talking about aew ring of honor impact mlw wwe any other wrestling that is happening around the world we have it for you we have them in wrestling chat forums so we can all talk together and create a community. I'm building a community that is non-toxic, non-backstabby because, man, do I have stories. And so I want to create a community where we all come together, talk about wrestling, and share our passion. And if that sounds too good to be true, all you have to do is just click that link of the Discord, come in, chill for a couple days or maybe a couple hours, and basically you'll see what I'm talking about. And it's all for free, so you guys don't have to worry about anything. But yeah, if you want to be a part of a community that I'm trying to grow, please, by all means, click that link. Join us. We talk about wrestling on every single night there is wrestling. I cover the G1, and then I have these podcast episodes for you guys to listen to in full. The other thing before I go is to make sure that you guys know that you can get 30% off your Zencaster paid plan by using my code SCP when you go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing. That is Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com forward slash pricing. When you choose the plan that you want from Zencaster, Please use my special code SCP and you'll get that 30% off. Trust me. It'll help me out. It'll help the brand out. It'll help Zencaster out. Zencaster has been amazing with my podcast episodes. And if you want to be amazing too, head over to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing. Use my special code SCP to get 30% off. It's a win-win, guys. Win-win for me. Win-win for you. Win-win for Zencaster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.